But um, we had a great men's meeting yesterday morning. I'm here to, to kind of na-na-na-na-na-na. The women had 67, but it was Ice Sunday. I'll give you that. But we had 70 yesterday. S- 70 men. What? Kathy wants me to be sure to say that they sold 140 tickets and it was icy. But God just kind of let us know what it felt like. And, but here's the cool thing. We had so many men that we had to get out there in the middle of where everybody else was, all the people who just went to the best place to have breakfast in town, the Golden Corral, and we had to meet in front of them. So there was just a little partition that came about this high, and here we were and here they were just eating their breakfast, and we asked the manager, can we sing? And he said, sure. So 70 men just started singing about Jesus, and all these people... I'm telling you, it was amazing. The the Spirit of God fell. And they stopped eating. Some of them started singing with us. And And when we were done, they clapped. It was cool. And uh, when I brought a word, they heard every word of it. We had people coming up and saying, thank you. They went to the manager and thanked the manager for the fact that it blessed them. They, uh, the, the, the waitress sang with us. We had the waitress singing. And, you know, you let your light shine, and it's amazing how hungry people are. Not for the food that perishes, but for the eternal food. And so it was great. If you were there, men, say amen. amen. Next time we'll have, oh, 150 or so. <laughs> no. It takes twice the effort to get men out there. I was so glad that men were there. And it was great, wasn't it, David? And so we got a good thing going there. Amen. All right, Romans 14, verse 12. I'm excited about what God is doing and where we're going. I want to reach the world. And I believe God's going to give us a church that reaches the world. My vision is for the world. I want to be heard in China. I want to be heard in Japan. I want to be heard in Australia. I want to be heard in Africa. I want to be heard in England. I want to be heard in all the states. I want this church to make a shout, a message to declare Jesus to this generation. So look around you and see this is just the embryonic beginning. Now we're talking about stewardship. And I want to call you or talk to you today about being trusted with God's stuff. Being trusted with God's stuff. Romans 14, 12 says, So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Now that is not talking about sin. That is talking about how good a steward you were over what God gave you. It's not talking about going, "Uh uh-oh, I'm giving account of myself to God for my sin. Because if you're a believer, the sin was dealt with on the cross. You as a believer will not answer for sin. That's got to be clear. He's talking about we're going to give an account of our stewardship to God. Now, 1 Peter 4.10, one more verse and you can be seated. 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each one has received a gift. Now notice, 
Every believer has received a spiritual gift. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. As good stewards of the manifold or many-faceted grace of God. What I look at and what I see when I look at you is I see a sanctuary full of gifted people. I don't see pew warmers. I don't see Christianettes waiting for a sermonette. I see gifted people. When you got saved, you received a gift. He said, each of you. I don't care whether you know about it or not or whether you feel like it or not. You received a gift from God, spiritual, when you got saved. Now he says, now it's up to you to be a steward of it in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, thank you for your blessing on your word today. Bless it to our hearts in Jesus' mighty name. And illuminate our understanding so that we can know what we have been entrusted with. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you're gifted. Now, we're talking about stewardship, and you may not know what stewardship is. If you were here last week, you ought to know. But by the time you leave today, you're going to know what stewardship is. And I'm going to tell you what the requirements are for being a good steward. And I'm not just talking about money matters, as we're about to see. Stewardship has to do with all of life, everything that pertains to life. Stewardship touches every point of life. And so you're going to know today when you leave what the requirements for a good steward are. We saw last time that we're going to give an account of our stewardship in three major areas of life. Here's where you're going to give an account to God. He said, each of us is going to give an account. Here's where you're going to do it. In possessions, in giftings, and in the work done in our bodies. How often was your strength and energy and time given to glorify God in your life, in your body? We're going to give an account for how much God was glorified in our bodies. We're going to give an account for our giftings, how we were stewards over them. We're going to give an account for our possessions. We're going to give an account to God. We're going to answer at the judgment seat of Christ. We are not going to be at the great white throne judgment. That's for the lost. And they will give an account for their sins. But we're going to give an account at the great white, or rather at the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ, we're going to receive rewards or the lack thereof for how we allowed God to use what he entrusted to us. And it'll be with possessions, and it will be with giftings, and it'll be what was done in our bodies to the glory of God. Now, stewardship means manager or overseer. It comes from a Greek word. I don't usually throw a Greek word out to you, but I'm going to throw this one out because you'll recognize it. The Greek word for stewardship is oikonomeo, oikonomeo. Now, you hear the English word in there, don't you? Economy. Oikonomeo means manager of a house. When you hear the word stewardship, it means how did you manage your house? Not the physical structure that you call home, but house means your life. 
It means your life. How did you manage your life? What did you do with what God gave you? Because today, sitting where you are, he's given you energy, he's given you a mind, he's given you health, he's given you time, and he's given you another day. So when you hear the word stewardship, don't just think, well, money and giving. That's, it's way bigger than that. Stewardship is how you run the economy of your life. How are you investing your life? Is your house managed well or is it out of control? Is your house given over to the glory of God or are you living for yourself? Is your life his or is it yours? Has God received maybe one or two rooms in the house and not the whole thing? Or does he have all of you? Stewardship means the economy of the house. How you are managing your life. That's why the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I got news for you. Grandma isn't going to be there when your works are judged. You can't go on grandma's coattail and mama's not going to get you in there either. You're going to answer for your own house, for your own life. That's why it says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Your own salvation. Run the economy of your own house. How is your house being used for the glory of God? That's stewardship. The bottom line truth that undergirds stewardship is this truth, and I want you to say this with me. Everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. Now, that needs to go from here to here. Everything belongs to God. He doesn't own 10% of what you have. He allows us to give him 10%, but God owns everything we've got. And if you think that's not true, let me inform you, he can blink and everything you've got is gone. He can just turn his head and you're in the street. He can blink his eye and you lose your health. See, we are being kept and empowered by and preserved by the word of the Lord. He has allowed us to live another day. He's given us what we have. He's given us the talents and the abilities to go make money. I don't care if you're flipping burgers at McDonald's. God gave you the energy to get there and flip those burgers. If you can't get your golden opportunity, go get something under the golden arches. <clears throat> Amen. God gave you the ability to flip those burgers. He gave you the ability to make money. He gave you your giftings. You may have one, you may have ten. But everything we have has come from him. Every ability we've got, he gave us. God formed and fashioned us. God made us. Hey, you're a creation of God. You're not the result of an evolutionary process. Your distant ancestor didn't crawl as some amoeba out of an ancient sea. And you have evolved into what you are. David did not say, I am fearfully and wonderfully evolved he said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You're made. God created you. You're a creation of God. And everything we have, he gave us. Every ability we've got is a gift from him. That's why you've got to look up and say, thank you, Lord God. I am humbled in your presence. What we possess is a trust from God. It's a trust. The New Testament teaches not ownership, the New Testament teaches stewardship. The New Testament teaches us that life is an issue of stewardship. Life is an issue of stewardship. We will not answer to Christ for what we owned. 
We will answer to Christ for what he trusted us with. Life is an issue of stewardship, not ownership, of caring for what is God's, not for what is ours. Life is a journey of stewardship. He allowed you to have your house. You say, well, I own my house. I signed the deed. It's paid off. Oh, God, let me promise you, you can lose it in a day. Ask those people who were sitting in their homes just a few days ago in Florida making plans, thinking they were going to be there for years to come, and all it took was one storm. Everything they had was gone. Listen, I'm here to preach into your life things that can't be taken away by a storm, things that can't be taken away by a tornado, things that cannot be taken away from you. That is the eternal things of the living God. What he gives us cannot be stolen. We have been trusted with God's stuff, everything we have. Now, our quote from the Apostle Peter told us that God entrusts us with his stuff, with his stuff. Now, what I want you to realize is that God has given you something, something to be a steward over. Now, I read recently about a man who looked at himself, looked at his life, looked at his abilities, and he was a strong member in a particular church. He said, you know, I can't get up there and I can't be eloquent speaking I really don't have any outstanding gifts. I'm a merchant. I have a store. I make it a certain amount of money. But I don't have any charisma. I'm not a standout person. I'm not a person to be up in front of everybody. What can I give to God? And he prayed about it. And he said, Lord, I know that your Bible teaches stewardship. And you have given me something. So what did you give me? And he said the idea came to him. Here's what you have you have an extra plate. When you go home on Sunday afternoons after church, I want you to start inviting people over to your house and feed them lunch. And so this man began inviting over missionaries and people off of the streets, and he called it the gospel of the extra plate. (laughs) The gospel of the extra plate. And he started inviting people over. And he was a member of this church for 30 years. He couldn't speak well. He was not a standout guy. He was sort of somebody that sort of lurked in the shadows. You didn't really recognize him, sort of a a, a blending in kind of a person. But what he did have was an extra plate. And so for 30 years, every Sunday, for 30 years, he invited somebody over to his house and he fed them lunch. And people began to get saved because they saw the love of Christ in the gospel of the extra plate plate. They began to give their hearts to the Lord. They began to follow Jesus. Well, 30 years of this went by. The man became known as the one who preached the gospel of the extra plate. And then he died. When he died, the pastor stood in the pulpit and said, well, brother so-and-so has passed away, but I know many of you came to know Jesus because of him. And what we have done, we're going to bury him about 30 miles from here where he was born. And we're inviting anybody who wants to go to the funeral whose life was changed because of his ministry. We have got a train waiting for you. And so when the day for the funeral arrived, they looked and 150 men flooded this train, took the ride all the way to that funeral, and they began to testify. I didn't believe in Jesus until he invited me to his house and fed me by the gospel of the extra plate. And then I began to believe in the love of God because I saw the love of Jesus in his life. Let me tell you something, church. If you can arrive at that golden gate with 150 people coming behind you who saw the love of God then you have really done something. 
the gospel of the extra plate. You may not be flashy. You may not be a speaker. You may be kind of a humble, normal, ordinary kind of person. But I guarantee you somewhere in your life, you've got an extra plate. And God can use that. And so when he got to heaven, don't you know, he heard the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I didn't make you a speaker. I didn't make you a standout guy. But I gave you an extra plate. And you gave it like a good steward back to me. And now there's 150 people coming up behind you because because of that. Praise God. The gospel of the extra plate. Peter told the beggar at the gate, silver and gold I do not have this particular day, but what I do have, here's what I'm going to give to you. And he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And it says that man stood up and went walking and leaping and praising God. He was instantly healed. Peter said, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I'm going to be a steward over it. Jesus gave me great faith. I saw him open blind eyes. I saw him raise the dead. I saw him give the deaf hearing. And so I know he can get you up from your crippledness and walk again. So he said, in Jesus' name, get up and walk. And he gave what he had. Had. Folks, we've all got something to give. When you look in the mirror, don't look at what you do not have. When you survey your life, don't sell yourself short. Peter said, we've all been given a gift. Now use it to the glory of God. Amen. We need the zeal back. We need the fire back. We need the first love back. We need to give back to Jesus what he has given to us because it's a trust. What he's given you is a trust. And according to the parable of the talents and everything that Jesus ever taught, one day he's going to come again and he's going to want us to give an account for what he gave us. Did we invest it into the kingdom of God and he got glory out of it and got something out of his investment? Praise God. Boy, it must be conviction in here. Y'all are so quiet. Hmm. Say everybody's got something. So what are the requirements of a good steward? What are the requirements? Well, let me share with you three of them. Three requirements of a good steward, that is, somebody who is managing their house, their life well. Here's the requirements. The first one is commitment 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 to the of the steward must be committed to the interests of his master the steward must be committed to the interest of his master there is a there's a verse that's been haunting me in a good way and here's the verse paul said when i was a child i spoke as a child i thought as a child and i reasoned as a child what came out of my mouth was childish my actions were childish, and my thoughts were childish. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, church, I want you to know today that there is a difference between childlike and childish. I'm going to say that again, because there's a lot of people with adult bodies who have children living inside. Here's the deal. There's a difference between childlike, which Jesus said we should be like. He picked up a child, and he blessed that child, and he said, of such is the kingdom of God. What was he saying? Children are innocent morally. Children are trusting. Children have faith. 
There is an innocent beauty about a child. And Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It is faith, it is trusting, and it's, it's pure, it's clean. But we are not, that is not what Paul was talking about when he said, when I was a child, I thought and spoke and reasoned like a child. He was talking about being childish, which means to be emotion-driven, which means that it's all me, 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 wah, 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 wah. It's changed my diapers. I've messed them. I'm in another mess, Lord. Help me, help me, help me. It's all about me, 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 me. It's not about anything but me. That's childish. Paul said, there was a time in my life, and this is where I love the original language, and just, just suffer me for a minute here. The original language, when he says, I put away childish things, that's in a tense that means there was a pivotal time in Paul's life when he said, okay, that's it. I'm done being childish. I'm making a decision. It is time for me to put away Wah, 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 me, 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 boo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. And I'm going to be a man. So he put it away. It was a decision. He said, I became a man. So much of our Christian walk is a decision of the will where we exercise faith. He says, put on Jesus, put off the old man. Put on love, put off hate. Put on this, put off that. We see what God wants us to be, and by faith, we make a faith decision to either put something on or, or take something out of our lives and lay it down. He says, when I became a man, I put away, I laid down, I walked away from, I said goodbye, I buried being childish. And... What does an adult do that children do not do? Here's what an adult does. An adult thinks about the interests of others. An adult thinks about the interests of others. Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not equality to be with God, but made himself a servant and became or was fashioned in the form of a man, took on flesh and became one of us because he so loved us. And he had our interests in mind, not his own. And see, there's got to come a time, dear church of the living God, when we put down childish ways. Come on, everybody. And we say, it's not all about me. It's all about the interests of my master. What does he want? And then what he wants is what I want. And we don't walk in real solid stewardship until that transition takes place. Because when it's all about him and not about me at all, he can say, Jeff, go do this and I do it. He can say, don't do that and I don't do it. Give this, I give it. Don't give that and I don't give it. I am at his beck and call because it's not about me anymore. It's all about the interests of my master. That's, that's a man that's a woman. Paul said, I am laboring in prayer. I am sweating 
blood and prayer until you, until Christ be formed in you and you arrive at the fullness of the stature of Christ where you have grown up and you're no longer children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that blows through the church. You are planted in the house of the Lord. Your faith is solid. You're walking with him. You're talking with him. It's not about you. It's about him. You're a man. You're a woman. And when you arrive there, you say, well, I'm just waiting for God to zap me. He's zapping you right now. Consider yourself done be zapped. You've been zapped. You got it now. <laughs> say, well, Pastor Jeff, you know, I used to feel that way. I used to be so full of zeal. I used to have that cutting edge. Man, I had that first love burning in my heart. But now it's just kind of gone the church failed me, people failed me. And you point to the church and you point to people and you know what the church has in it? Just a bunch of grumpy old men. Well, not a bunch, some. And grumpy people are generally just looking for a place to grump. You say, you say well, if, if they hadn't this and they hadn't that and this person hadn't this and that, then I would not be this way. No, you are what you are because you've decided to be that way. I'm here to preach some truth into your life. I want to see Jesus change your life. I want to see something happen to you. You are not at the mercy of what other people do. You are at the sheer mercy of your own decisions. And I want to tell you, uh, God has given you a trust. He's given you a gift. There is something God has placed in your life. And if it's gone, it reminds me of the axe head. Elijah <clears throat> had a bunch of, of students, prophetic students with him. They were cutting down trees for the new house of God. Isn't anything new about a building fund? This was in 1 Kings. And they were cutting down trees for a, a new place for the prophets to meet. And the axe head of one of the servants flew off. It flew off and it fell into the water. And here's what he said. He said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. See, he had four times the burden about what he lost because it hadn't been his. I think we know the feeling. Somebody says, you can use my car to go down to the store. You get in that thing. It's an expensive, nice car. And you're four times more nervous. You know you can't throw the McDonald's wrappers on the floor. You know you can't let those jumbo fries get on the seats. You know you can't trash it like you would your own car because it's not your car. It's somebody else's. And one day you're going to give it back. And you want it looking better than when you got it. Am I right? That's stewardship. Whatever he gave us, he wants to see it better than when he gave it. He wants a return on his investment. And so this man saw the axe head fly off. And he said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. And it flew into the river and it disappeared. Now, I love this story. And this is not in my notes. And I didn't mean to preach this, but I'm going to preach it. This is hot off the skillet of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you something here today. We could say he lost the cutting edge. We could say he lost his razor-sharp cutting edge. Do you know the feeling? Now, instead of delight, everything is duty. Now you come to church because you ought to, not because you want to. You pray because somebody's condemned you, not because you've got a real desire. You're moving and functioning in yesterday's blessing on fumes from yesteryear. You're going on a memory and not a present-day reality. You need a fresh touch from God. 
And so now the cutting edge has disappeared. And you have said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. My zeal came from you. My, my, my first love came from you. I love you because you first loved me. Everything that I was was because of you and your touch on my life. And now, master, it was borrowed. I've lost it. Now, here's what you're going to hear the master say. Where did it fall? I know what it is to lose your cutting edge over stupidity and foolishness. But I know what it is to get it back. Listen now. Y'all mind if I preach? I'm, I, I'm just going to preach. See, see, some of you are thinking, well, he's getting kind of Pentecostal on us. I'm telling you, I can't help it. I got to tell you something today. We say it was lost. And we, some of us, we walk away from church because it was lost. We quit praying because it's lost. We have this hopelessness about it being lost. It went into the river and it can't be seen anymore. But we don't know that the master is saying, just tell me where you lost it. Did you lose it in sin? Did you lose it in being distracted from the things of God? Did you lose it from neglect? I'm not here to condemn you because you lost it. You just got to take me to the place where you lost it. You got to take me to the place where you lost it. Just show me where it was lost. Fess up. Tell me about it. Bring it to God. Well, Lord, I lost it in sin. I lost it here. I lost it there. I can tell you where I lost it. Then you'll find that he wasn't out to get you. He wasn't out to condemn you. He was out to restore you. And all he wanted to do was tell you, amen, I've got good news today. You can burn again with zeal. You can be excited again about the things of God. You can wake up and say, good morning, Jesus, and go to bed at night and say, good night, Jesus. I love you, Lord, more than I've ever loved you in my life. It can be restored to you. So he said, where did it fall? He said, it went right there. And if you can't remember where it fell, the Holy Ghost will show you where it fell. It went right there, Lord. And then you're expecting him to say, you dirty dog, you lying sinner, you ever-loving hypocrite. But instead, he said, step back. Since you took me to where it fell and you were honest with me and showed me where you lost it, suddenly steel came to the top. Something that never would have surfaced on its own. Something that never would have happened left to natural law. Steel floated to the top and then swam towards him. It got right there. But what I like about this is God did the miracle. God restored the cutting edge. But he said to the servant, now you pick it up. I can do what I can do, but you're a steward. you got to do what you can do. So now you pick it up. And so you've got to reach out by faith and say, it's my time again. I'm tired of sitting in the shadows. I'm tired of rotting away. I'm tired of being bugged over yesterday's offenses. I'm tired of living in a graveyard of regret and shame. I'm tired of it, sick to death of it. I'm coming out. 
And it came to the top, and he reached down and he picked it up. And he had the cutting edge again. Now, I'm going to tell you something about me. Turning Point Church is my new axe head. And I intend to bring down some great big trees with this axe head. Come on, everybody. So say with me, I can get it back. The Lord who restores wants to restore you more than you want to be restored. Man, I just totally left all my notes. Just totally gone. Totally gone. It must be that there are some lost axe heads in here. Or listening by radio. Listening by radio, driving down the highway. You've just left your job. Your life feels empty. You don't know what you're going to do. The job's not cutting it. Your family's not cutting it. Something is missing. Something is wrong. It's the cutting edge. It's the axe head. It's the first love. It's the zeal. It's the fire. The steward must be committed to the interest of his master. Now, the steward also needs wisdom. And I want you to hear me on this. Wisdom to use what God has given to you. The steward entrusted with God's stuff must use what has been entrusted to him wisely. Wisely. Nettie Fowler. Nettie Fowler was the wife of Cyrus McCormick. You don't know either one of them. You're about to. Cyrus McCormick invented the reaper, a machine to harvest crops. You might say that, that McCormick, Cyrus McCormick, was the Bill Gates of his day because nobody had a reaper. It hadn't yet been invented, but everybody needed one. So when he created it, everybody wanted a reaper to harvest the crops. As a young man, Cyrus entered Chicago at 38 years old with $60 to his name, 60 bucks. By the age of 40, two years later, he was a millionaire because the reaper went off the charts in sales. He and Nellie met and they married in 1859. Nellie was striking, tall, graceful, and totally committed to Jesus Christ. The couple enjoyed 26 years together. There was a 26-year difference between their ages. When Cyrus died, it left Nellie wealthy beyond belief. In our terminology, it would be like if Bill Gates died and left everything to his wife. And what did she do with all this fabulous wealth? Did she become the socialite about town, the who's who, whose parties everybody wanted to go to? Is that what Nellie became? Remember, Nellie loved Jesus Christ, and that's going to change you. That's going to affect you. And Nellie believed in stewardship. She believed that what she had was not by accident, that she didn't meet her husband by accident, and he didn't make all that money by accident. So what did she do with all this fabulous wealth? She became a steward. Let me just give you a few things Nellie accomplished as a wise steward, unlike the rich ruler or the rich man who Jesus called a fool who spent everything on himself. Nellie established McCormick Theological Seminary in Chicago, 
financed John Mott of the student volunteer movement to travel the world to organize student missions, helped form the Students' World Christian Federation, contributed to the evangelistic campaigns of D.L. Moody, who was the Billy Graham of his day, funded Tusculum College in Tennessee, supported missionaries in different parts of the world. But Nellie did not stop there, or Nettie. Nettie is her name. Nettie did not stop there. She absorbed herself in Asian missions. Her house, which could have been the house in the city, became a Christian halfway house between the Orient and the West, a center of international Christianity. It was always full of missionaries and overseas Christians. She improved the water supply in one country, provided a hospital in another country, and a Christian college in another country. She built a women's clinic in Persia, a seminary in Korea. She sent agricultural machines to India. She took what God had given her and gave and gave and gave. And I believe when she got to heaven, God God said, Nettie, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over what I allowed you to have, but it never was yours. It was mine, and you knew that, so you gave it wisely. Now enter into the joy of your Lord. It's not how much you have or how little you have. It's what you do with what you have. It's how you view what you have. The last thing a steward has got to have is faithfulness. Faithfulness. The master has got to be able to trust his steward. And here's Jesus' teaching in a nutshell. Jesus said to every one of these people who were being welcomed into heaven, he said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'm going to make you ruler over much. To the man that had the talents, he said, you were faithful over the talents. I'm going to make you ruler over 10 cities in the world to come. See, You can't take anything with you. The Bible says that everything we have comes from God. We were born into this world naked with nothing. We leave the world naked with nothing. I say it often. I'll say it again. I've never seen a U-Haul at a funeral and never will because you don't take anything with you. But Jesus did say you can send it ahead. Store not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves can break through and steal. But store up for yourselves, store it up. It's like a 401k in heaven. Oh, I'm not kidding. But this thing compounds its value. You talk about appreciating value. Jesus said, treasures in heaven can't be hit by inflation or recession or thieves. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where I'm going to find your heart. And where your heart is, that's where I'm going to be able to track you. So a good steward, a good steward is committed. A good steward is wise with what they have been entrusted with. And a good steward is faithful. Now, if we'll just do that, and God has all of us, then then you're really living Christianity, not churchianity, Christianity. And there is a difference. I felt impressed to pray over us today that, you know, I know that everything I have is God's, and everything you have is God's, and this church is His. And you can't measure what God can do with one life 
that gives everything to him. So we're going to give this church to God. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer where we present to him everything. Say, Lord, I just want my life to count for you before I die. How many of you would like 150 coming behind you because you had a gospel of an extra plate or something? Amen? Can we stand together? I want us to give God, if we've lost the cutting edge, I want you to say to him, alas, Master, I know now it was borrowed, and you want to give it back to me. How many of you in here today can say, Pastor, the cutting edge is not what it used to be. It's become dull. I want it back. Let me see your hands. Well, I see it in my spirit rising to the surface and swimming towards you. If you believe that, I want you to reach out and say, Lord, I receive it now. I pick it up. And here's where I lost it. Tell him where you lost it. Tell him where you lost it. Thank you, Lord. Well, I lost it when I got hurt. I lost it through sin. I lost it through busyness of life. I lost it by not putting the kingdom of God first. Hey, I've lost it several times and needed it restored. I know the feeling. I see it in your spirit's eye swimming towards you. The master has brought it to the surface. You can see it. Reach out and pick it up. Now, if you want to be a steward that is a good one, can we just lift a hand towards the Lord? We're going to pray a corporate prayer. Lord, I pray for everyone in this sanctuary. Help us, Lord, to be wise. Help us to be committed. Help us to be faithful over what you have placed and invested in our lives. That it would be used for the glory of God. And not all for us. Oh, I sense the Spirit of God here in such a strong way. Take a minute and talk to your master. Talk to your Lord. Take a minute. Steve's just going to lead us. We're going to give God just as long as he needs to minister to everyone in this room. Thank you, Lord. Give you. 
this today. Can you give the Lord a hand of praise? Thank you, Lord. 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 Well, God is good, and amen all the time. Next week, we're going to be talking about the rewards of stewardship, and this is where it really gets good. You don't want to miss next week, the rewards of stewardship. Come on up, Kathy.